0: Hi, welcome to another episode of I Own a Business, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and I have with me Matt Abrahams. Matt is a leading expert in communication with decades of experience as an educator, author, podcast host, and coach. As a lecturer in organizational behavior at Stanford University, he teaches popular classes in strategic communications. And his new book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully when You're Put on the Spot, has great insights for anyone whose success depends on communicating effectively with others, whether that could be patients, your staff, speaking at local events, and and the list goes on and on. So, hey, Matt, glad we could connect here. Super excited to be with
1: you, Steve. Thank you.
0: Matt, when we think of strategic communication, I think most people, their mind goes to the talking aspect. We might mm-hmm. think of how to be a more impactful speaker, a more effective communicator. I'd like to focus more on the other side of that, though, which mm-hmm. is listening. And, and we're going to get into this a little bit more, how to get more information out of other people and how to get more valuable information mm-hmm. out of other people. There's a, a quote I took from your, from your book. Sometimes the best way to communicate is to say nothing at all. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that comes easy to most people because in spontaneous situations, as you point out in the book, I I think we tend to jump into problem solving mode. So my first question to you is how do we approach those situations in, in spontaneous communication? How do we approach those situations with more of a listening mindset?
1: Yeah, well, listening is critical to effective communication, and many of us are really poor listeners. We listen just enough to get the gist of what somebody is saying. In fact, I heard somebody the other day say, uh, listening is defined as simply waiting for my turn to speak next, and many of us approach listening in that way. Listening allows you to do so many things. It allows you to make sure you really understand what it is needed in the moment, It also allows you to demonstrate connection, that you're concerned and care about the other person. And that in turn can build trust and connect uh, for a longer relationship. So it really is important to learn how to listen better. And a lot of that is asking the right questions to get the other person speaking. And it also has to do with what you do with the information you hear. So processing the information, demonstrating you heard through paraphrasing, through asking further questions, by simply saying, tell me more. All of those are ways to get the other person to reveal more information. When it comes to communication, we over-index on the speaking part, and we need to balance that out with the listening part. I saw this study once and it was
0: a, they did some research on people in sales positions and it was in particular, it was people on sales calls and they wanted to identify what were the top qualities of the top salespeople and what they identified as the number one quality in the top salespeople. They were the ones doing the least amount of talking, which in many ways, just the opposite
1: of, of how we're, how you might think of that. Yeah, absolutely. So so when you are taught to be a good salesperson, listening is on the top of that list because you can learn then how to hone the information that you're sharing. uh, Afterwards, you can make sure that you're demonstrating concern and compassion for the other person. In fact, there are actually some software tools that in the midst of communication, especially virtually, will help you understand your talk time relative to others so that you can adjust and adapt. But you should definitely, if you're in a position of trying to establish a new relationship, make a connection, wanting to build trust and camaraderie. You should listen more than you speak. On that topic of connection, there's another
0: excerpt from your book, and I'll read it. Make it your mission to get the other person to explain to you the problem they're trying to solve and the feelings they hope to share. Notice how you get more detail and how you feel less pressure to respond right away. And that reminded me of another book I had read. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called How Doctors Think by Dr. Jerome Groopman. Mm-hmm. And one of the studies from that book, and I don't remember if it was his study or he was referencing another study, but they wanted to see how long before doctors interrupt patients. So from mm-hmm. the point that the patient sits down in the chair and starts describing why they're there, starts descri- describing the reasons that brought them in for the exam, on average, It was about 18 seconds before the doctor interrupted the patient. I've actually seen that study done elsewhere as well. And the numbers vary a little bit in each case, but it, it, everyone I've seen comes in under 20 seconds. And I I think the, I think something interesting happens when we give people more of an opportunity to talk about their problem is the dynamic changes and they start getting curious about the solution the more you can keep the discussion focused on the problem the more curious they start getting in the solution and you can actually generate interest in the solution now this could apply to sales it could apply to healthcare. as as someone once told me you can't make people you can't force people to accept the solution you have to get people to want the solution so would you agree with that assessment
1: yeah, absolutely. So if you can get people to give you more information and more detail and you act curious, you'll you'll not only get a clearer picture of what's needed in the moment, but you get the other person more invested in the problem itself and, and desiring to solve it, but also in the relationship that you have. So sometimes we jump too quickly to the solution that we want to provide instead of really exploring the problem. And this notion of taking the time to best understand the problem can really help you get a better solution, form a longer lasting relationship and ultimately set yourself up for success for the next interaction.
0: Yeah, a lot of times there's a, I like to call it the problem behind the problem. So it yeah. doesn't take that long to get the more superficial problems, but using that analogy of peeling back the layers and we can do that with questions, people start to reveal the the, the deeper concerns that they may have, which quite frankly, are going to be more of a motivator to want to do something about it. I, I as we know, people are more driven by their emotional motivators than their superficial. We're more mo- motivated by intrinsic things going on as opposed to external problems, which sometimes that's all we get to. We hear the external problem and say, I've got a solution for that, but we're not really diagnosing more of the internal frustration that
1: that, that problem's creating. Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, on on the podcast I host, Think Fast, Talk Smart, I interviewed Dan Pink, and we spent a lot of time talking about problem solving versus problem finding. And this notion of really understanding what you're solving and looking for the particular problem, finding the actual problem and what the heart of that problem is, makes a huge difference. And he makes the argument, which I find very interesting that, you know, It's not that hard to solve problems. It's hard to find the right problems to solve. And and his his concern or his thought is that, you know, AI and other things are going to help us solve problems. But the big thing is how do we find the right problems? And that's where we need humans. That's where we need listening. That's where we need connecting. Mm -hmm. So uh, the distinction between problem finding and problem solving, I find really interesting. You addressed
0: accountability, maybe maybe it was indirectly, but let let's shift focus to that for a second. Sure. There was a Harvard study done that showed fifty percent, approximately fifty percent, in leadership positions rate themselves as "quote unquote" terrible at holding themselves accountable. And I I suspect that the reason for that, or at least a big contributor to that, would be a lot of people just aren't comfortable with confrontation, so. Your book points out that studies with employees found that listening seems to make an employee more relaxed, more self-aware of his or her strengths and weaknesses, and more willing to reflect in a non-defensive manner. So it w- that would seem to indicate that listening could also be a very valuable tool in situations where you have to
1: hold people accountable. Yeah. I mean, listening is the beginning of feedback, right? Listening is the beginning of of connection. And so accountability, holding people to standards, holding people to expectations, uh, a lot of it has to do with listening. And I define listening very broadly. It's not just the words people say. It's the context they put themselves in. It's how they say what they say. So when we are looking to hold others to account and hold ourselves to account, we have to take into into a consideration all of those factors not just what said how it said where it said etc to really help us appreciate and then respond to what it is that we're seeing in those moments staying on the theme of of listening there's i, I
0: really like the story about the npr journalist mm-hmm. from your book yeah. so i'll i'll yeah. you know what i'm talking about but i'll, yeah. I'll read that that segment Former NPR journalist Deborah, if I'm saying it right, Schifrin. Shifrin, Schifrin yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's a
1: friend and 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 colleague, actually.
0: Deborah Schiff Schifrin has a technique she uses when interviewing others called the killer last question.
1: Yeah.
0: As an interview is wrapping up, she'll ask her interviewee if there is anything important that she neglected to ask. Sometimes the person responds immediately, but if they don't, she does something radical. She waits and then waits some more most of the time they respond that her questions covered everything but schifrin waits for a bit longer letting the seconds tick by and then she relates they will say the most interesting thing that they've said in the whole interview and i i think it was chris boss never split the difference that that coined the term dynamic silence and his his point was that if you go silent if in conversation it's a great way to get the other person to open up with more information because silence is weird and silence is awkward and we don't like it and we're not comfortable with it. But when you decide to use silence deliberately, it's, it's only a matter of time before the other person will fill that, that void with language. So I, I thought that was really interesting story. And can you expand on that a little bit? Cause I, again, I think sometimes we just keep talking and we don't really create that space for the other person To talk, and maybe it's because we as the talker are also uncomfortable
1: with silence. Well, I think that's certainly true. Silence can be awkward. And you can certainly use silence as a communication tool, a strategic tool, as you're describing, where I purposely do it to make you uncomfortable or feel awkward, so you might say more. But I also like to see it as as a tool of, of permission. So when I remain silent and give you the space to speak, I'm sharing with you that I I wanna hear more, I care. I I wanna give you that space. And many people will step into that space and say some of the most interesting things. And that's what Deborah's really commenting on. It can be very awkward to open up the floor for silence, but silence is, is a great opportunity to show that we care, that we wanna learn more. So I encourage everybody to try silence, to give people permission to take the time they need to formulate their thoughts. It's a very, very powerful. I, I try to use it in my own life. I try to use it with my kids. I try to use it in the in, in the teaching that I do to just give the space for people to, to think. We, we rush around a lot and we, we, we think that there's value in time to responsiveness, like the, I got to answer quickly or I, I have to immediately follow up what is said. And in fact, by slowing down, by pausing, some really interesting and dynamic things can happen. So I encourage everybody to practice the use of silence in their communication. It's an interesting point to make, especially in healthcare,
0: where... A lot of doctors are in busy practices and they're bouncing from one room to the next. And we may have been there at times as the patient where we feel like the doctor's in a rush and doesn't have a lot of time. We feel like we need to get right to the point, be quick with what we say. And we might even withhold information just fearing that the doctor doesn't have enough time to listen to everything. But you Mm -hmm. make a good point, a great point, that if we just provide the other person with that that void, with that silence, it indicates to them that I'm here to listen. I've
1: got the time. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 it's a skill you can practice and and we should practice to help us feel better and more comfortable. Yes.
0: It's if we go one step beyond listening because I heard somebody say this once it's it's not enough to just Understand, which a lot of our listening is is designed to help us understand the other person's needs and concerns. And as I heard somebody point out once, it's not enough to just understand; go the extra step of making sure the other person knows you understand. And you already referenced what I'm going to reference next, which was paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Paraphrasing, as you point out in the book, it is not just parroting back what the other person said, but rather it's distilling the essence of what we heard them communicate and I, and I think that's so important. I, I've used the analogy or the, the term a bridge. Once we in, in healthcare, I do a presentation and the first half is really it's all about how to ask better questions. I call it the discovery phase, taking the time to really understand what's going on with the patient at the same as we're talking about beyond just the the external problems. And then at some point, you're going to jump into the solution once you feel like you best understand. But I, I call this the bridge between the discovery phase and the presentation phase, paraphrasing and, and making sure that the, the patient in this case knows that, that you understand what is going on with them. And I think it establishes two thing, two things. One, connection right it's it's that moment where you hear somebody paraphrase back to you what they're going through it establishes a connection and makes them feel heard and understood but it also does something else and and this might be something i heard chris boss say as well If you're wrong, there's a possibility you're wrong in paraphrasing something back in terms of maybe you misunderstood something. Maybe you got the details wrong. Maybe there was a miscommunication, but it's normal human behavior to want to correct people. So more than likely, when you paraphrase back what somebody says, if you got some of the details wrong, there's a good chance they're going to correct you, but
1: that's fine. Let people correct you. It's more important that you get the information right. Yes, absolutely. Paraphrasing, I think, is one of the most essential communication skills that we need to develop. I call it a Swiss army knife. We can use it for so many things. Paraphrasing, first and foremost, as you just mentioned, allows us to validate the accuracy and fidelity of what has been said. It also validates the person who said it. It feels good to be shown that you were listened to. Paraphrasing buys us some time. Paraphrasing is what we call a lower order cognitive skill. In other words, I can do it and begin thinking about what I want to say next. So it sets us up for that success. So paraphrasing actually provides us with lots of opportunities to do lots of things. And just like you said, I I see paraphrasing is a skill that doesn't happen by itself. It is actually the middle step of three key things. First, you have to listen. You cannot paraphrase well without listening deeply and intently. After you paraphrase, the final step is to do something with it. You bridge, you link, you ask a question. Paraphrasing is always followed by something. You don't just stop the paraphrase. There's something that follows it, a question, a bridge or a link to something else. So we can learn to paraphrase better. Your listeners to this podcast, I challenge each and every one of them to just stop the podcast at some point and think to themselves, what's the bottom line there? Paraphrase what was just said. And just practice that and drill it so you can actually get really, really good at it. So I in- highly encourage people to work on paraphrasing.
0: You and I both do public speaking. Mm-hmm. And one of the when I first started doing public speaking, I worked with a communication coach. And one of the mm-hmm. first things he said is, You're you're trying to share too much information. I, it was that death by bullet point. And he said, Let's yes. let's streamline it. And there's there's a part in your book where you say, forgetting may be the default mode of the brain and you're probably familiar with what's called the forgetting curve that once we when we're exposed to new information we'll forget a lot of it and we'll forget it quickly much of it is within the first the first 24 hours even we could forget 90 of of what we learned and and that's problematic as a Mm -hmm. as a doctor where we're going over information we need people to remember to take their medications and to remember the you know side effects we go over. And if we want people to consider treatment plans and sometimes people are gonna need to relay that information to another caretaker. So how do we enhance as speakers? What are some tools we can use to enhance memory retention?
1: Great question. Uh, and there's a lot that we can do. Probably the two biggest things we can do is one, make our content immediately relevant to our audiences by making it immediately relevant, we engage people so they're, they're more interested. We pay attention more to things that are relevant and salient to us. Now, if you are a patient receiving information from the doctor, that's pretty relevant. But there are also lots of conversations we have in the healthcare system and relationships where the, the, the salience is a little less clear. So make it important and relevant. So explain, hey, this is important for you because, and that, war- that wakes everybody up so they focus. Second, you have to use structure. Structure is critical. Our brains are not wired for lists. In fact, Steve, I challenge you to share how many items do you need on a grocery list before you actually have to write them down? For me, it's more than four. If it gets over four, I have to write it down or I'll forget something. I don't know what it is for you, but it probably is not that many. The reality is we're not very good at remembering itemized lists. So what's the alternative? Putting things in a package, a structure, a beginning, a middle, and an end, where there's a logical connection among the points. And in so doing, it helps not just us as the communicator, because it helps us prioritize what it is we're saying, but it helps the recipient to receive it. Our brains are wired for story. We remember things that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. In fact, we call it episodic memory, episodes. That's what we remember. So if I can package it up so you can digest it better, remember it better, not only are you more likely to act on it, but you're more likely to accurately relay that information to somebody else. So how do we remember better? We make sure, how do we encourage others to remember what we're saying? Make it salient, provide a structure, and that's what's going to help.
0: Matt, I'll close out here. Is it possible some of us aren't as good of listeners as we think we are? And how do we find out? You mentioned, I think, an AI tool before or some kind of technology, but you know, do, do we just develop the
1: courage to ask people for feedback on our listening skills? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. No, I'm joking. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, we, I, I think it is safe to say that very few of us are really, really good at listening. So the the assumption should be that we can all get better. How do you learn if you're a good listener or not? I think you, you ask, I th- you, you can ask others. I think you just reflect and say, how many times am I having to go back to somebody to, to clarify or to follow up? How many times do I find myself a little confused about what just happened? A lot of the reason for that is that we just aren't listening well. I encourage everybody at the end of a meeting at the end of a presentation at the end of a day to write down what it is that transpired what the action items you are that you need to take. And if you find that you're struggling to remember some of that chances are you're not listening well, but I think that I think we should just assume that we can all get better at our listening. And even those who are really good listeners, I think would tell you they'd like to improve so Absolutely. Working on listening is critical. Remember, listening is communicating. Listening is showing that you care. Listening demonstrates that you want to make sure that you form a connection and understand somebody. Those are very powerful tools and signals that can help you be more effective in the work you do, but also the relationships that you form.
0: Well, this was fantastic, Matt. I'm I'm really glad we got a chance to do this. Uh, the book is fantastic too. I, I'll uh, um, give you a chance to tell people where they can find out more about that. It's called again, Think Faster, Talk Smarter: How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. How do people get the book? I assume Amazon and anywhere else. And well, also, if, if we did got a podcast as well.
1: Yeah. If we did our job well, it should be everywhere. So best ways to get uh, more access to my materials, mattabrahams.com has lots of free resources around the, not just listening, but speaking, becoming more confident in communication. Please consider listening to another good podcast. This one's a good one too. Think fast, talk smart. And then the book is Think Faster, Talk Smarter. Steve, thank you so much. Well, thanks, Matt. Really appreciate your time.
0: And um thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like more information about IDOC and how we work with ODs to help them grow their practice, you can find out more at idoc.net. So thanks again to Matt and thanks everyone for listening.